We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. It is a great start to the week, feeling fresh. Everything in the presidential race is official. I don't have to watch CNN and Fox News for 80 hours a day, so that is amazing. But still, we got to touch a little bit on election talk, just general. It'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Kamala Harris making history as the first you know, woman of color, I was going to say black woman and and Indian woman in the White House. That's huge. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about hip hop to open up the show because, of course, there's always these weird little side hip hop conversations that I either see on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter that I want to know what the old man thinks about. So we have another one of those on this show. And then we're finishing it up with a ton of wrestling. We're recapping AEW Full Gear. We're going to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling Power Struggle and something that went down there that we haven't seen before in New Japan. That's so hard to say, but it happened. And then rounding it out with a recap of SmackDown from this week, which was actually good because SmackDown is good. Raw, 
not so much. So that's on our slate for today. A packed show, like I said before. Old man, let's talk about history, though. The importance of having a black woman in a power position in the White House. How big is this? I mean, we are both fathers to black daughters. How big is this right now? Well, first things first, um, it's not official. It's still projected. Oh, you. you. Yes. Okay. It's not official. The, re- the And the only reason I say this is because Trump is going to try to use this to his advantage, even though he's not. But he hasn't exhausted all of his options yet. So as long as there's still ballots out there, he can still try to make a play. Nevertheless. It's a, it's a lot of states to make a play in. Hey. If, it's, if there's it, one, I got you. It's I'm a just lot saying, of he's, he's going to try. Like, he's not conceding. He, they're gonna, he's talking about being dragged out, kicking and screaming. Okay. That <laughs> might have to happen. And like I said, put it on pay-per-view, cowards. That's what we want to <laughs> see. That's the pay-per-view I'll pay for. But nevertheless, Kamala Harris becoming the first woman of color uh, as a vice president. I mean, woman, black, Native American. Um, it's just it's incredible. Uh, but you know what's funny to me now is like all these people that were slandering her are now coming out. I was like, yay, Kamala. And I'm like, dude, chill out. I, I get yeah. really tired of that shit. Like, there was there was a lot of people on the whole, like, oh, she's the ops, or she locked up all these black people. All of those people are silent now. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that's kind of what happens. But like I've said before on this show, nobody's hands are clean in the political system, right? It's just impossible to get to this place and having clean hands. So I... I take no issue with Kamala Harris and what she's done, you know, as a DA. And it's, it, like, I have no issue with this. I mean, DA, I'm sorry, <laughs> attorney. This, uh, but um, the issue is for a lot of people is that you're only mad until now it benefits you. And now you back off your stance. You'd be like, oh, no, she's cool. But the reality is, what did Kobe say? Job's not finished. Nope, job's not finished. So um, even though even though Biden and Kamala are in office, we got a lot of fucking work to do. Black people are still getting shot in the streets. Poverty is still an issue. Redlining, real estate, loans, all these things are still an issue. And they're not going to be cured overnight. So when you see somebody like Kamala in office, um, it's inspiring. But it's the same thing I said about Obama when he got elected. It's very symbolic. And it, it means that you can do it too, ultimately. I just don't know what's going the next four years going to look like. Obviously, they'll be better than Trump. Yeah, you know, like I don't think there's anything that could be worse than Trump for for us in general. It's not like Kamala and Joe Biden are going to empower white nationalists. None of that shit is going to happen. I mean, hopefully, they'll start denouncing a lot of the bullshit that Trump was advocating for over the last four years. But um, yeah, like I'm I'm happy that Trump lost because I like to see him kick and scream. I'm happy that there is a woman of color who is the vice president. I'm happy to see crazy ass Joe Biden as a president, even though he's not the greatest speaker in the world. He's a little bit of a loose cannon, but anything's better than Trump. I would have voted for this light bulb I'm looking at over Trump. (laughs) No, yeah, like when you look at that, and I, I get it, of course, there's more work to be done. I think we have to hold them accountable in ways that people didn't necessarily hold Obama accountable. And on the flip side of that, though, like when you listen to Biden's speech, it's good to be in a place where you do hear someone who doesn't have to, uh, a president who presidents really have never said this, but they he openly came out and said, you know what, the black vote helped me get here. 
and I have to hold myself responsible to you. Like, that's never been said before. Like, it could be an empty promise, sure. But the fact that it's in the conversation, that it is now a topic on the same level as healthcare, as, you know, the economy, as climate control, that is where, listen, climate control, shit, we're still trying to combat that and who knows how that fucking goes. Maybe nothing happens during this presidency in terms of, you know, like trying to get more, uh, I don't know, I, I guess more fossil fuels out of the game, trying to get away from oil and all that shit. Maybe he can't change any of that, but it's on the agenda and it's being spoken about. So having the importance of not just black voters, but black people in this country and to see how things can change for us as black people and him saying that. And then, of course, Kamala saying the same thing. And it, it's just those things like, yo, OK, we're in the conscious now. Now we have to see action, but we're, we're in the conversation. Finally, for so yeah. long, we weren't in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's important. So at the end of the day, you know, both the president and the vice president elect now know and keenly aware that black and brown people and minorities are responsible for getting them in office. And Kamala, for this is the first time that neither of them, neither the president nor the vice was a went to an Ivy League college. Kamala was an AKA and went to Howard. So th this is dope <laughs> on a number of levels because it's like as somebody like myself who went to an HBCU, I look at the landscape now and it's wide open. Like it was busted wide open with Trump, if you want to be completely honest. As soon as like a reality TV person gets involved, then you're like, well, shit, anybody can win. But when you see Kamala in there... It's dope. I could tell my daughter, like, you can go to HBCU. You could be uh, a senator, a district attorney, and an attorney general. Like, you don't have to go to an Ivy League school to accomplish this shit. That's yep. what's more important to me than anything else. And I know we, we can talk about politics and lawmaking and legislation and the House and the Senate. And, you know, we can talk about all these things. But representation matters. And, uh, and that's key here that we get to see. We got to see Obama as the president. Now we got to see a black woman. As the vice president, the shit is shit is changing. We still just have a ton of work to do. Yeah, of course. My middle daughter, Madison, wants to go to HBCU. We were talking about colleges like last week. So her thing now is like she's steadfast about going to HBCU. And I was like, OK, like granted, I didn't know like she had black friends, but I guess like all her friends are black. But I didn't know they like talked about HBCUs and whatnot. But she got a pretty detailed list of what school she's looking at. And I was like. Oh, interesting. When I was a kid, I wasn't thinking about HBCUs. I was thinking about, like, I guess sports schools because that's what was put in front of me. So even that is such a change and a shift in dynamics. Um, and shout out to, what is that, Grown-ish? Who, Blackish? No, Blackish. What's the one with the little girls? Like the, the spinoff. Well, there's Mixedish, Grown-ish, Blackish. Grown-ish. Where my daughter watches that shit and then she watches some other show where like HBCUs are in it. So she got very interested. It's kind of like a different world was for people our age, I guess. Yeah. Where you see it and you'd be like, oh, wait, these places exist. And I was like, all right. So, yeah, I don't, my daughter wants to go be a little anime nerd at HBCU. I'm with it. Yeah, it's, it's dope. And then for those of you who uh, miss, probably didn't get a chance to see, like I was hosting a panel on Friday 
um, for the HBCU Battle of the Brains, which was called, it was something I conceptualized called putting melanated faces in non-melanated spaces. And it was myself, uh, the big homie Kaz, um, Demetria Obelor, and Lauren Brown, who was an animator and a video game illustrator. And it was really dope to see all these people from different places. And, um, and it was, it, was, it was interesting to see how many people were inspired just to know that we were in the positions that we were in. Because as always, when you see somebody that looks like you doing something that you want to do, it kind of means that you can do it too. And that's always what's really been important to me. And that's also why, plug, after this show ends and you listen to this, if you haven't already, you can listen to the first episode of the Wrestling With Stereotypes podcast with D'Lo Brown on adfreeshows.com. Uh... And we talked to D-Lo, and we made him cry. That's all I'm going to say about that. It was a pretty amazing uh, episode. Yeah, in, in a good way. We didn't make him cry in a bad way. No, not yeah, a bad yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, like, berate him and tell him that he was a terrible human being. He started crying. No, man, we had a great conversation about his time in the nation domination, of course, working with Ron Simmons, with The Rock, his time with the Gangsters, his solo career, and now being over head of talent over at uh, Impact Wrestling, where he talks very highly of talent like Chris Bay and Rich Swan. But, um, yeah, we praised him and made that man cry. So that that's representation matters. I, th- I think that's all I'm trying to say is representation matters. And you need that kind of inspiration for your daughter to want to go to an HBCU for my daughter eventually one day for whatever it is that she wants to do. It's like, it's up to us to kind of hold these doors open for the future to walk through. No, I agree. I agree hundred percent. So I feel like we had to start by talking about that. It was only right. It was, you know, because we've had so many shows just heavy on politics that I didn't want to go for another half an hour on it. But we had to say that, hey, shout out, cracking the claw to you, sir. Um, perfect timing, because I have to pull out my favorite segment, the Ask Dre About Hip Hop segment oh, yeah. of the week. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, it's something, it's better me asking you on the podcast than tagging you on a Facebook group and having a million people send you demos oh and ask God. you questions. You know, so it's, man, <laughs> I'm so happy that stopped over the years. Like, yo, it used to be ridiculous. Now it's not, not it's not as bad now. Like, people kind of gave up, but Jesus, it's the worst. I anyway. want to open the floodgates again. Yeah, don't So, it's much easier to talk about it here. The conversation this time, though was um shout out to code seven it's ran by one of the members of views from the seven podcast uh shout out to the homies but uh the dude skinny runs this youtube page code seven and it's pretty much his purpose is to try to get more eyeballs and a platform for local hip-hop artists in vegas and neighboring i guess the neighboring states right so like arizona vegas Utah, I think he's had like two Utah rappers, shit like that, where you don't really get that much publicity. So he reviews videos, goes to their live shows, all this stuff. But their conversation this week was, do these new crop of rappers, quote unquote, SoundCloud generation, which I guess we're easing out of, but I don't know, whatever. The SoundCloud rappers, is there a lack of appreciation for a live show? Oh, fuck and does yeah. that even matter anymore? That, does well, it matter? That's two questions, right? Yeah, those are the two questions. Listen, man. I'm me personally, I'm big on live shows. If your live show is whack, I can't really fuck with you, right? Cuz I I'm not going to buy a ticket to your show. But mm. these days, um I don't think people really give a shit anymore. 
I, like in general. People can go platinum and never have a live show. Like your, your, your song can get picked up off SoundCloud. You're getting a record deal and you've never performed in front of a live crowd. Yeah. So, so, but the challenge is this because for these artists that, you know, the SoundCloud rappers and the so quote unquote platinum, this like, I can't stand that shit. Like the metric that they use to try to tell you how many records somebody sells is utterly ridiculous. It's like Busta Rhymes just dropped an album, which we haven't talked about. Um, and it's gotten a lot of praise. And then three days later, he drops a deluxe edition with four extra songs. And it's only done. They only do that to get more spins out of that album to for yeah. it to go, quote unquote, platinum. But it's bullshit to me. Nevertheless, they don't make a lot of money off of. The, the the streamings right you make yep. all your money touring now right now you're not making shit because nobody's performing anywhere but that should mean that you should care about your live show right only a few rappers are making a lot of money without performing live at all very, like it's very minute so you would think to all the up-and-coming artists you should invest in your live show you should you should learn how to perform. You should not have thirty seven people on stage with you and all of them have mics. That's completely unnecessary. <laughs> like you should really focus on delivering a live experience. That's why I've always been big on like Little Brother. The first time I saw Little Brother live is when I flew him out to Vegas to have him perform their first show, and they murdered it in front of hardly anybody. The second time we had thousands of people in the building, murdered it. You should care for your live show, but in this day and age, I just don't think people. Maybe I don't know. I don't want to necessarily put an age on it. Maybe it's under twenty-seven. I don't think they care. I don't like they'll go and they'll watch Travis Scott jump. Like Travis, Travis Scott. We'll I've get there in a second. <laughs> he's got a. He's like his live show is essentially him paying for special effects because him watching him is a chore because he like looks at the ground. It's, it's nothing good, but people get away with this shit. They get away with I these mean, half performers. I like that. I like his live show, but we'll we'll get to that in a, in a quick second. It, it reminds me of like rock bands in like the late '90s, like punk rock bands, not like traditional rock bands. So it reminds me of like watching like some 41 and like people just like wilding out. So ton of special effects now. But I saw him at South by years ago, what 2015, and it was completely different. No special effects, and I was like, oh, this kid kind of has something. So that that hit me way back then. Now though, their conversation skewed to the statement is false that rappers still care about a live show, and I wholeheartedly disagreed with that. Their argument was that look no further than female rappers who still tour and crush it on live shows. I argue that twerking is not a great stage set. Like twerking. And dropping it low and everyone looking like Megan Thee Stallion and now Mulatto doing the same shit. And you you just learn how to bend your knees and sit in a in a squat while you rap isn't a great stage show or an immense talent. And then I saw, what, Megan Thee Stallion live in Vegas last year We when we went um, to that festival, it was oh, like yeah, last October that. or something. Megan Thee Stallion, I saw her stage show and I was like, oh, this is bad. Bad. Like half of it was just talking to the crowd. Like, oh, I'm so glad you guys came to see me. Who wants to come up here and twerk? Who wants to come up here and twerk? And it took five minutes to get five girls on the stage to twerk because they had to walk through the crowd, and it was it was ridiculous. 
And then it ended up just being five girls on stage, one maybe knowing how to dance, and then Megan Thee Stallion doing the same twerk moves in repetition for half an hour. So yeah. I I don't even count like the female artists as having a true stage presence, stage show. And I was like, man, that's, that's fucking crazy. So I was like, oh, let me see what the old man says. Because you used to go to, you know, way back when, now that you're, you know, a relic in the industry. Um when you used to have to go and, and new talent would get broken at showcases in New York. Yeah. And a lot of times the first experience of listening to new talent would be a showcase by A&Rs or for A&Rs and you would get their hit single to impress you live and then you'd get their music to take home. Yeah, see, man, I've, I've gotten so much shit about this. I got an arguments with my friends who are journalists in New York over this. New York is fucking useless in some ways. <laughs> like, listening parties, showcases, all that shit. Like, again, for those who don't know, I worked for a year at BET. And during my first year at BET, I was out every single night of the week, except for Saturday and Sunday. And it was at a, I was at a studio session, listening party, an open bar, some kind of event. Every, me, my boy Loki, before I even met Kaz... Um, Fox, the guys from It's The Real, like our crew was everywhere. And I went to so many listening parties and I went to so many studio sessions and hearing albums. And what I came to find out is a lot of these motherfuckers that go to these listening sessions and showcases don't really pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> Just for the free drinks? Yeah. You're there it, for the open bar? <laughs> it becomes like a big like frat party, right? So mm. what happens is... Like, in, there's some cases where artists perform and you go and you're like, oh, okay, you need that first taste because what ends up happening is it goes viral before viral is re really a thing. People would write about it and be like, oh, Drake performed at SOBs and it was sold out and that creates the buzz. I remember after I left New York, 2 Chains performed in New York and brought the house down and that's what everybody talked about. But New York, like those showcases, like for the most part, as much as I care about live performances, I watched so many people that didn't care. What they cared more about was getting close to these artists so they could be friends with them. And that's how they would, you know, manipulate friendships. And that's how they would be recognized. It, bloggers became groupies, right? Yeah. Shout out to DJ Academics. Exactly. <laughs> so for me, the live performance matters to a live crowd. There are journalists out there who do care about the live aspect and going to see a dope show. But there are a lot of them out there who really don't give a shit. Like, there, I've been to so many listening parties. And I leave, and they're like, you going to write about the album tomorrow? I'm like, no. And they're like, yo, why not? And I'm like, because I didn't fucking hear it. Like, I, all I heard was a bunch <laughs> of people. Like, there was, I remember I went to Jada Kiss's listening party for, fuck, I can't remember what album it was. But the listening party had fried chicken, grits, um, sandwiches, tons of Hennessy, and free weed, Right? And Sounds delightful. Right. But you had me at fried chicken. At after and it was hot as shit. It was like 130 degrees in like this studio. And we're all there and we're all drinking. And it's late. Nothing ever starts on time in, in the industry. Nothing. Ever. Never, ever, ever. So we're sitting there. So an hour passes. We're drunk. Everybody's drunk. Jada Kiss shows up. He's drunk. Everybody's drunk. And Kiss is like, I'm gonna play the album. Now, sonically, what you hear are dope beats. Lyrics are like muffled. You can't hear anything anybody's really saying. 
But then we leave, and then people are like, yo, Jada Kiss has got this amazing album on his hands. I'm like, what? You heard it? Like, you didn't, you couldn't have heard that shit. Because I didn't hear it. Like, we were all drunk, and then people would, you know, dudes talking to girls, and, you know, you talk to Jada Kiss for a while, and he tells you about it. But I always go back, and I'm like, I'll go to the label the next day, but like, yo, I need the CD. I need like a, a, a CDQ of this album, because there's no way I can review this shit like that. But other people will. So to bring this back full circle, like, performances should matter. They really should. But when you criticize, like, twerking, some people don't give a shit. Some people go to shows just to see the people at the shows and just to say that they were at the show. That's it. They don't go to see a great performance. They go, like, some people would be critical, and, you know, if they had a Yelp for concert reviews, they would trash it. But some people go just to see who else is there and to say that they went to a Meg Thee Stallion concert or to say they went to a Travis Scott show or to say they went to a Chris Brown show. A lot of people don't necessarily go for the performance aspect. And I don't even know. If, I can't even say if that's any more. But I feel like in the late, in the early 90s, and like the mid-90s, like you had, like Hammer had 30,000 people on the show stage dancing with him. And the shit was ridiculous <laughs> and choreographed. Right? And it was dope to see. You don't really see that anymore. People don't really have like great stage shows with choreography is like fucking R&B. out the window. R&B does, not hip-hop. Shit. R&B does not. Oh, I've been to Chris Brown. I've seen Chris Brown five, six times. It's super choreographed. There's ten people dancing with him at all times. First and foremost. In rotation, not even the same dancers. Listen. And he remembers dance moves to everything. Listen. That shit's incredible. Chris Brown is not the greatest dancer for choreography, period. What? Okay. So he's just freestyling everything? Sure. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, like, when you watch... I know we're going like way off topic, but like when you watch chore- like when you watch choreographed performances where everybody's in unison, right? Like yeah. when you watch like the Jabberwockies, that's choreography. Like when you watch a Janet Jackson concert, that's that's choreography. I'm not saying Chris Brown can't dance. This is not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is Chris does his own shit, and there's other people dancing, and they may be like choreographed routines. But Chris's goal is to always stand out. There's never a, a situation where Chris Brown is here and he's like, I'm just going to blend in with the crowd. It's, just, nah. it's a very weird dynamic that we have, especially as minorities and black, not even minorities, black people. Because there are other groups that will all dance in unison. Some can dance better than others. But for some reason, black folks, when we get on stage, we always got to find a way to do some shit that's, that's not choreographed to stand out. Chris Brown is a great, he's a great dancer. He's like a great freestyle dancer. Choreography, I'm, I, I don't, I wouldn't put it's him in the top It's choreographed. He just, yeah, he sprinkles a little extra on his. So, like, he'll hit certain moves with everyone. But you maybe got, like, three counts of that before he starts going into his real crazy shit. And then he comes back. So, I mean, it's choreographed. But, yeah, he choreographs a lot to stand out. Yeah, it, it, from the crowd. So that, not, that being said, other than Chris Brown, who is on stage? Like, what singers are on stage with dancers and are dancing themselves? Yeah, that's tough. Um, man, I'd, I can't even say Rihanna doesn't really. She has some stuff, but not heavy. I mean, it's Beyonce, right? Beyonce, of course. I mean... She's in a different stratosphere. She's not. You know, a, I'm not. She's not I'm a SoundCloud not a, rapper, so you know. No, yeah, I'm. I'm not a Beyonce fan, and I was at her live show just like stunned, like that shit was just beyond belief good, and I'm not even a fan, so I know like her fans must be like 
almost to Michael Jackson passing out stage. Um, no, so yeah, she's she's on her own planet. Not many. No, not many at all. Like I see Timberlake dance a little bit when I yeah. went and saw his concert, uh, but I saw it like before the stupid man on the wood shit. But like regular Timberlake. I haven't seen Biebs in, in concert. Maybe he dances. No, I don't think he does. I'm just saying, a lot of these, a lot of these cats, they, they go to the stage to perform, to sing. A lot of them, you know, are shitty singers live, right? Oh. Like, rules have been broken when it Your comes... Your girl and my girl is on that list of shitty singers live. Who? And it pains my heart. SZA. Yeah, no, she's not great live. You know, no. actually, <laughs> you know, let me stop. Let me stop. Because the weird thing is... I saw SZA when I first interviewed her for Jay-Z site when she came to Vegas. Uh, I can't remember who she opened up for. She opened up for Wolfgang Amadeus. It was crazy. She was signed to TD at the time. And they had called me to come to cover her show. Well, I just came to meet her because Top and all them were in town. And she was dope. This was before the, the album or anything. This is when she had like the um, the EP. Yeah. And it sounded I, good. I, I don't I know. I heard her around the same time. I was at South by. She opened up for Wale. And like Wyclef came out with Wale and shit. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Like Wale crushed that shit. He had $3,000 pair of sneakers. It started raining. He jumped in the mud with the fucking sneakers on. People lost it. But she was on stage before him. She crushed that shit. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I wanted to like research who she was. And I followed her after the EP and such. It was all downhill for like a year after that. Like the LP dropped and it was like, she can't sing at all live. So part of that is wear and tear from performing. Part of that is not taking care of your voice. Like it's amazing what how many artists just don't give a shit about taking care of their singing voice. So, <laughs> so it's like ultimately it comes down to who really cares about the live performance. And if you can sell tickets without putting a lot of money into your own performance. Like, you don't have to be Michael Jackson or Beyonce or Chris Brown or Usher or Janet Jackson. Like, those were, like, the king of the live performance. But if you can get away with that shit because people just don't care about what they see on stage and all they want to do is close their eyes and sing the song, then fuck it. Save the money. Put it in the pocket. Yeah, like, you have a whack performance. And I'll never go, but there's a generation of people who just don't care. They will show up to that bullshit. Well, there's a generation that don't know better. Like, you just asked me who has it. Like, there's a generation of people who can't afford to see Beyonce live because that shit costs an arm and a leg. And who've seen Chris Brown and they think, like, that's the epitome or maybe a Kanye stage show with all the theatrics. But that's all they know. They don't know that you're supposed to have choreography. Like, they've never seen Michael Jackson live, not even on YouTube. Like, you know, they don't know what that shit looks like. They don't know, you know, boy bands even, like, fucking... Um, what Bell Bib DeVoe or like Jodeci and all this like they don't know choreography like that. There's no boy bands anymore. Jodeci had zero choreography. Just regardless, choreography. but I mean, but that's people coming up to the mic, fading back, like not even dance choreography necessarily. But you know, like there's there's a cadence to everything. They didn't have that either. What do you mean they did? No, they did. Jo- well, JoJo would just go crazy halfway. Did, listen, man, I love Jodeci. But they just ran around screaming to people. <laughs> yeah, was, on opposite sides of the stage, like, just I, screaming into the audience. That's so like, true. No, no. I love, like, Jodeci is probably my favorite R&B group of all time. Like, Diary of a Mad Band is one of my favorite albums ever. But their stage show is just literally them yelling at people and trying to, <laughs> they're trying to yell women out of their draws. That's what they do. They're, it's not yeah. like, like, they did a lot of leaning. 
A lot of leading over into the crowd. Yeah, and head shaking. Like, mm. <laughs> see, like you go to a boys and men concert, and a boys and men concert, you would go because those voices are flawless. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. But when it comes to Jodeci, those voices aren't necessarily flawless. They're a little raspy. They've had a lot of Hennessy, and they've come to <laughs> sing your draws off. And there was really no choreography involved. It was just like... I wish I saw Drew Hill in concert. I've only seen that on YouTube. I've seen him in concert. Drew Hill, they would have choreographed performances. Drew Hill performances. Was my dudes. Yeah, yeah Cisco, got- Cisco was dope. I, I, gave, I gave a lot of credit to Cisco because he had a ton of energy on stage. Um, and they, they had good music. But... Listen, yeah, man. There's a whole generation I know none about that. They, uh, uh, n- none of these, ca- none, like who, like even R and B has changed so much that who is really like singing and dancing anymore? Like, nah. I mean, at least when I was young, like stupid young, I had like the stupid boy groups like B Two K had choreography. Shout out to Pretty Ricky. Even they had choreography. Oh like God, you Day Twenty Six was around. Stop. We had stupid shit like Three LW. Like, Did you just say there were still groups? Wait, where you had to have choreography. Come on, man. Did you really just say that Pretty Ricky had choreography? They do have choreography. Come on, man. Come on. I'm we gotta, we gotta go to the next segment. It's not as easy as you may think. We got to get out of it. We got to go to the next. We got to uh, start Let me ask you the last question then. Jesus. Real quick before we hop over. Right now, currently, top five hip-hop performers, in your opinion. I have my list. Just top five right now. Stage shows. Hip-hop, not R&B. Can't count R&B in it. But they have to currently still be performing in some sense. Little Brother. Okay, still. Fuck it, yeah. Like, if you've ever seen a Little Brother performance, there's nothing. I've never there. been to a Little Brother performance. Oh, my God. Those dudes, not not just because I've known them for so many years, but they never let you down. That That is a show that them big dudes be up there sweating. They just, they're nuts. Um, <laughs> hmm. Hip-hop. Hip-hop is tough. I'll give you my list. Yeah. So, one, I have J. Cole for my money. J. Cole doesn't disappoint me. I've seen him at three festivals, twice at the MGM. I've seen him like six times now. Um, and there's nothing to it. It's him, the mic, and a stool. And he just crushes shit. Like his music live is just different level. And the crowd plays such a huge part in that. So Cole, Kendrick is number two. I really like Kendrick's stage show. I think his music, a lot of times, sounds better, even for me, like vibes-wise, in a festival than it does like just listening at the crib. Like it's just something that like hits you. Um, to Pimp a Butterfly included. <laughs> Sounds much better live. Uh, it has replay value there. So Kendrick is two. Uh, Lupe Fiasco is still on my list. I love Lupe. One, because he always has a live band. His live band is super fucking dope. So to hear all the tracks that I like with the band, there's nowhere else you can get that. So it just sounds sonically different when it's played by live instruments. Uh, Cole is the same way. Always has his live band. And then four, Tyler, the creator. I've now seen him three times. Uh, we saw him in Vegas last year. That shit is dope. Learn how to play piano now. He, he does a bunch of shit. I just like his live show. And then five, Travis Scott. Hmm. Travis Scott is... This may not be in any particular order because Travis Scott shows are fucking nuts. That's like crazy late 90s punk rock vibes. The crowds go fucking stupid. Everyone's jumping and his energy level never dips. Like Travis Scott's show is probably as close as this young generation will get to like a DMX feel of a concert. 
where it's just one guy out there with crazy energy just going fucking nuts. By the way, he's not as good as DMX in concert, but I'm saying it's as close as they get. That's yours? All right. That's my five. Okay. And Travis Scott makes it. Okay, yeah, he'll never make a lot of this. Um, <laughs> Little Brother, The Roots. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, The Roots are maybe tied with Little Brother for the best live show I've ever seen. Live bands are incredible. Well, I mean. Like, anytime you get that, like. Well, the, the, the beautiful thing about The Roots is you'll never get the same show twice, right? Like, they'll always play, you know, covers. They'll, they'll do remixes on the spot. They're just incredible. So, Little Brother, The Roots. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say Kendrick. I'll also say Kanye. Even though I don't like any of his music lately, Kanye never has like a bad show. He puts a lot into those shows. And yeah. the Glow in the Dark tour was incredible. Granted, oh, that's his, that that's was so the many years yeah. yeah, like that was... I, I went to the stupid like... What was the horrible album he dropped? What, Yeezus? The one that Yeezus. everybody, yeah, everybody loves Yeezus. Yeezus tour. Yeah, I went to the Yeezus tour. That shit is horrible out. I went to the tour and like that stage show where he dressed up as Jesus and came out and he had a mountain in the background. That shit was a lot. I was like, yo, I just want to hear the music. Yeah. See, I didn't go to that. Um, I was out. Like, there was no way I was going to see that show because I hated that album. Oh, um, was that the MGM? Yeah, it was. I remember. Uh, yeah. And it was funny because, yeah, they, I was supposed to. I was supposed to be. I've never. I don't think I've ever really told anybody this. I was supposed to be filming a Kendrick documentary to towards to pimp a butterfly, and I was supposed to be on the road with Kendrick and Kanye. And then Kanye got weird and didn't want anybody <laughs> else on the tour. And then they called me and was like, uh, "We can't have because he didn't want no other film crews with him, so we couldn't do it." But anyway, um, so yeah, Roots, Little Brother. I'll say Kendrick. Uh, Run the Jewels because I think Killer Mike is incredible on stage, as big as he is. Um, and they make you just want to break shit. Um, who is the other? You know, I've only seen Childish Gambino like once or twice, and I really enjoyed it. See, I've only seen Gambino after he drops like the melodic albums, which is a problem for me. Like, I wish I saw, you know, because the internet Gambino or Camp Gambino, like that's mm. my favorite. So, uh, the e- the mixtape before that, like, I wish I would have saw that catalog. It was way too much of the. The red bone mixed in for me. <laughs> the red bone. <laughs> it, it, it really is like he, he would occasionally dip back, but I want to see rapidy rap ass childish Gambino. That shit was just phenomenal. I'm tight. That wasn't on the wave when he was actually touring. Those tickets had to be like fifteen dollars. Yeah, and I missed out. And I, I guess, I guess I'd put Jay Z on this list. Um, I, I've seen Jay in concert a lot. I mean, he's dope with a live band. Really dope with a live band. I, I've seen him have some stinkers, though. Well, everybody has some stinkers. Yeah, like, not every, him and, no, I'm lying. Him and Beyonce tour was horrible. The Roots don't have, him and Beyonce tour was horrible? I didn't yeah. see, but I'd never heard that. For before. him, for him, oh. for him it was. Like, it, I, again, I'm not sure any rapper should be on the stage with Beyonce 50 50. Yeah. Like, you're, it's probably not favorable for you. In a comparison type of tour. Like, you're, you're not going to match that energy. You're not going to live up to that. It constricted the set list, and he played a lot of recent stuff and a lot of stuff with her. Well, yes. You know. Of course. And that's why I didn't like him. It, it, to me, it was a stinker of a show of his. And I've seen him by himself. Magna Carter, tour and went to, much better. 
Yeah, that's, I guess I'd put Jake. I, I, I really have to think because Nas never really has a great show. Oh, um, Nas is arguably one of my top five worst performers. Yeah, I've seen like a I, couple. He'd shows. be mad drunk and like forgetting lyrics and shit. Yeah, um, I'd like to see Busta Rhymes perform now. Now that he's back in shape and he just dropped an album. He's I've seen him <laughs> quite a few times and he's been always been pretty energetic. It's just really hard because I don't go to concerts anymore. Like that whole. Being a, like the last thing, what was that? The, the last last year, the what was what the hell was that festival? Called? I forgot the name of that festival. I don't even remember. God damn! I have like the lanyard somewhere here at the crib. I don't even remember what it was called. But that festival was loaded. Yeah, it it was loaded as hell. But a lot of those shows, like Tyler had a good show. Um, Tyler had a good show. I thought Cole closed one night strong. Yeah, we saw Cole. Um, I liked Black. His performance. That's R and B. Yeah. J, uh, J.I.D. was there. Wow, he's dope. Good performance. So, I mean, TDE was there. They had a whole TDE night. Yeah, no, Q um, and all school that. Boy, yeah, Q was really good. It was super short. He did like 20 minutes. Oh. And then was like, yo, can I keep going? Yeah. And then he just kept rhyming for like two more songs. But Q, Q's another one who was really good live. Oh, he, he's gotten so much better. That's, we'll save that for a whole nother show. How Q has drastically changed who he is as a as an artist and as an individual and it's worked out so well in his favor oh good good yeah i've only seen him when he's been good man i I saw him perform at like a private adidas event in la in a warehouse that was like super run down and he crushed that shit yeah i did a date or a night trip to la we left like vegas at like 8 p.m got there at 11 30 he went on stage at 2 so we, we were drinking, super drunk. He went on stage at 2, from 2 to 3. And then um, my one boy, we didn't let him drink. We went out. We got tacos and drove back to Vegas at 4 a.m., got back at 7.30. That's foolish. Wild. Just to see this fucking Adidas party and Q performance. And they were giving away, like, free sneakers. So anything free, and I was down. But, yeah, that shit was crazy. Q killed that shit. Um TDE in general, I think, has a pretty good stage presence. Yeah, they do. They have a good So, team. yeah, I mean, I feel like that conversation went on a lot longer than I thought it would. But hopefully people are entertained. People love when we talk hip-hop. So you guys stay right there. We're going to hit the break. When we come back, we're going to dive into pro wrestling. That's what we're here for. So you guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we'll get back to the show in one second. But first, even though sports had a break, your business did it. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools for you to make your search that much easier. Those tools include sponsor jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, just that quick, we are back, and it's time to talk AW Full Gear. Shout out to whoever hit me up on Twitter and was like, yo, you always say just that quick. Like, yeah, it's easy for me to remember. It keeps me on pace, and I don't mess up. We don't do punches on this show. It's one take hove. So just that quick, we are back. And Dre, it's time to talk wrestling. Let's dive first match of the night, pre-show, Serena Deeb versus Allison K on the pre-show NWA World Women's Championship. I think I said last week, it's weird to have a match that's better than your own title match on the card. This match wasn't spectacular. It was better than their own title match. Yep. That's all I got to say about that. It's a fundamental problem. The AEW Women's Championship getting outclassed by the NWA Women's Championship on the buy-in is the epitome of what's wrong with AEW's women's division. Yep. That's all I got to say about that. Serena Deeb so, looked good, and they, it feels like they need to sign her because they need help. <laughs> they do. Like, you just, I don't understand what the working relationship is, but you just can't give them free real estate and then just have them fucking come and crush it. I mean, you can. We, you just we gotta, saw that with Thunder Rosa, like... She just came and crushed her match. It was incredible. And then what? Mm. Not a damn thing. So you can. It makes your show, I guess, bolsters your show. But it doesn't do much for you unless you lock these women up. If it's like a trial run, then that's cool. If it's not and they're just going to go back to NWA, like it doesn't make sense to me. And I understand AEW lets a lot of talent float anyway, right? So you can still work some indie gigs and be signed to AEW. They're not WWE where you're, like, super exclusive. But you still got to do something with them. They got to be there, like, every week. You got to have some type of commitment if they're just going to be on your show crushing shit. So that match, good for the buy-in. First match of the night on the pay-per-view, it opens up Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. Winner receives a future AEW World Championship match. There was things I liked about this. There were things I didn't like. All right, what what didn't you like? I thought maybe one of the only times all night that this match was too short. I didn't feel like it hit that next gear for me. It was on the cusp. I thought it was good storytelling. I thought Kenny was getting loose. Paige showed up. It might be my, I probably like this match as much as any match all night, to be honest, but I would have liked to see it go longer because I don't, I know AEW doesn't do elongated feuds. Kenny and Hangman's breakup and being tag team champions and everything else, it should have felt bigger. That's a story they told for eight months of them being a tag team and having friction and Paige and, and them finally breaking up, then they lose the tag titles, then you have this tournament for them to get together, which kind of cooled them off a little bit, like you kept them away from each other, so you didn't build on the animosity, then they finally wrestle, and it was like, it didn't feel big enough, or long enough, for a feud that was brewing for eight months. I disagree. Okay. I like this match a lot. I didn't think it needed to be any longer. The reason why... 
It's not for the title. Also, they're not done. They'll be back. Few no, again. I mean, good, good. it won't be immediate. I, I want the I want the call back to like yo. We used to be because it just feels like they left something on the bone. I I didn't get a real like. This feels like oh my god! All this tension was built up between them. It seemed like a normal match. It was a good match, but it just seemed like a normal match when there's so much more story behind it. Well, there was there's, to me, should felt bigger for me. Like I didn't need this match to be a forty minute match because we got enough of that on this show. And when it yeah. when it opened the show, which I kind of projected, I was like, they might open up the show with this because there's no way you can do this, the Bucks and FTR and the title match all next to each other. So this yeah. had to open the show. And what it was it? Fifteen minutes? Twenty minutes? Sixteen twenty-five. Yeah, this I thought this was perfectly paced. I thought the uh, page trying to get out of the one wing angel and still couldn't get out of it and lost to it was yeah. perfect. I thought later on the night page lingering in the back while the elite are celebrating, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is a red herring that something else is going to be going on sooner than later. I didn't need okay. this to be a barn burner of a match because AEW pay-per-views are long as shit as it is. I didn't need this <laughs> sure. to be much longer. So I was perfectly fine with this match. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a uh, hey, four and a quarter stars, four and a half stars. Yeah. Is there going to be something bigger for them? Probably. But I think I think this is what we need. This is what we needed to open the show with. We can't have like a million bangers in the show. I thought if you could have taken it away from other matches this would have been the one that should have went longer not that this should have went longer and the other matches should have been long as hell anyway again this is probably my favorite match of the night so those are like my minor gripes on it i just thought it should have felt bigger they should have gave them more time i enjoyed it i wish it would have went on as long as some of the other matches that i had to endure i mean i wouldn't have complained if it went longer but i think i think there's a sweet spot in just having a really good match and especially when you have, when you probably know these two are going to cross paths again, you don't want to okay. blow it out now because then what do you have left? It's kind of Sasha and Bailey in Hell in the yeah. Cell. What do you have left? Yeah, it gets a little difficult. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Strong match, in my opinion. Then next up, we have Orange Cassidy versus John Silver. It was fun. Yeah, that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be overly serious. John Silver is kind of funny to me. Uh, dude, I, I think he's great. That, like, whatever they say he weighs, he doesn't because he's like a midget. But when he ate Orange Cassidy's pockets, I died. It was good. It was comedy well done. Yeah, it's it's a it's, perfect, like, palate cleanser after having a good match. And in between, like, what, I don't know what was after this. We'll talk about it. Oh, yes, I do. Um, yep. But, yeah, yep. this I thought this was the perfectly paced match. Cassidy needed to win because he had been losing quite a few matches on TV. John Silver doesn't. He's a fun guy to watch. I don't mind watching him lose, but he's like a big ball of energy. He's the bright spot in the dark order right now. I agree. I agree. I think uh, it was good to highlight him. It's a good time to throw a guy like that a bone because you see, like, yo, he's standing out. The rest of the dark order had no placement on this. So I was like, you know what? Let's, let's throw this guy a bone. I, I thought it was good. And he could he could lose obviously Cassidy could win no harm to anyone, so thought it was perfectly done in that match. It was good for what it was supposed to be. Next up, Darby Allen versus Triple H. Oh no, excuse me, sorry, Cody Rhodes. Um, so Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes TNT Championship match. You can't tell me Cody is a Triple H fan, like. 
at this point, he has the whole fucking Nightmare Collective out there, which is just ever-growing for no reason. Brandy's up there. Like, <sighs> Cody must bleed. I'm so shocked he didn't bleed in this one. Like, to me, the match itself did very little for me. I think Darby Allen is still really good. He probably has the best chemistry with Cody out of anyone. And the match was still like, I've seen him wrestle before. The other one was better. Hmm. So what am I supposed to think of this one? Um, the ending, cool. I mean, you, you get, I believe this one ended in a roll-up um, for Darby to win. So there's story to still tell. It. I wasn't amazed by this match. Damn, I guess we're on the opposite side of the spectrum. I like this match. I don't think Cody is Triple H. I think Cody is something else. Because Triple H wouldn't have lost this match. I mean, for a mid, mid-card title, man. No, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have lost this match. Triple H would have ran Darby Allen over. And, he, and Cody didn't. He put Darby over. I don't like the Nightmare... Whatever. The, the Nightmare Collective? Is that what they Nightmare called? Collective, I believe, is their name. I, don't, I shouldn't this know is, it, but I believe that's This is name. utter and indisputable trash. <laughs> 2T Marshall should never speak on my TV. Dustin, D- Dustin, nope, no thanks. I like the bunkhouse brawl that they're teasing for win. I don't give a shit. But I thought this match was good. I thought there was some great spots. I thought the crossroads off the top and didn't get the finish off of it was great. I thought, I mean, Dar- he rolled Darby Allen halfway across the ring to make sure his arm was under the. Rope. I mean, shit, Darby did half the rolling himself. But I, I <laughs> but yeah, I like that. It was a cool spot. I'm not gonna- like I thought this match was one of Cody's better matches. I thought the the it wasn't a great match. Um, I like Darby winning by roll up. I didn't. I don't necessarily need him to win clean with a coffin drop, um, because you gotta with Cody's stature versus Darby because Darby's so much smaller than him. You're gonna have to kind of sneak up on him because you can't really go. Yeah, this little 160 pound guy just jumped on me and I lost. So you gotta yeah, kind of sneak yeah. up on him. So I like this match. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was like the best match of the night, but it didn't bother me. What does bother me is that this Nightmare Collective keeps growing. What does bother me uh, is like they suck. Like it's not like it's not good. It's not like Cody has like the great people flanking him. I've already mentioned QT and Dustin, right? But now he's got the guns with him, and yeah. Brandy's trash, and yeah. So Arn Anderson still hanging around. Yeah, so I, I don't like the the collective. Um, I wouldn't necessarily. I, I wouldn't say that Cody is Triple H, but Cody is something else. Like Cody having to to close Dynamite out. Like he, I feel like Cody means well, whereas Triple H did not. That's fair. Like I feel like Cody means well to try to put the company on his shoulders and giving Darby an opportunity. I feel like he means well, like giving QT Marshall an opportunity. I don't think Triple H ever meant well for anybody but himself. And his handful of friends. Yeah, which was a very small group. Very small. Group. So I, I didn't have I had no problem with this match. There was a couple near falls that I enjoyed. Darby winning was was good. Give me Darby Allen versus Orange Cassidy. I asked for it last week, now I want it. Ooh, okay. That reminds me. I think what made me more upset than anything was the end of the match. So you get Cage coming out, beating up Darby Allen. Um, what's the other dude's name? Who's he's actually really good. You talking about Will Hobbs coming out or Ricky Stars? 
Ricky Starks. Yeah. Ricky Starks coming out. They kind of tease like him and Cage both want the belt. A little dissension there. And then Cody tries to come help to no avail. And it's like, who is Cody going to feud with then moving forward? And then you have Hobbs coming out to save uh, to save Darby Allen. And then it looks like it could be him and Cage. And then Starks and Allen. And there, there's just a lot of moving pieces at the end for extra shenanigans to build something where I didn't get what they were building. There's too many moving pieces there. I feel like what we're going to could be wrong. I feel like we're going to go into like a Cody versus Cage feud or something like that. Um, I feel yeah, like we've that's done that already. Mm, yeah. Well, no. No, I don't think so. Like no, that, Brian Cage oh, feuded I with Moxley. That was a title match. Mm-mm. Oh, Moxley. Okay. Yeah. So a Cage Cody feud could be good, but I think the key here is Brian Cage needs to win bad against somebody yeah he, like he is in dire like Ricky Starks is on point like he's good like he's money because yeah. he can talk he's got a good look to him he can go he's fine Brian Cage has a great look he is an okay talker not really good but he needs to win he looked like they isn't brought him he has Taz Taz was out there too isn't that why he has Taz well it's it's like but you gotta win though like the FTR like you can't have the FCW title and just not really doing shit like you gotta win I don't even know why they have that stupid ass title. It's like the WBC franchise title. Get rid of that shit. Yeah, that's just stupid too. Yeah, a lot of moving parts in that. That also soured me to that match. Um, next up, Sheeta versus Nyla Rose. Do I gotta say it? With, Do I gotta say it? With a, this match sucked. It wasn't good. One, shout out to Nyla Rose at least for having the Mega Man cosplay. I see you. Uh, Mega Man lovers unite. Outside of that, though, I have nothing good to say. This dog. Um, I, I don't need Vicky Guerrero as a, a pinpoint character anymore. It wasn't. It wasn't half as good as their first match. They didn't hit any great spots. They, I wasn't invested. This was the equivalent of the old school WWE bathroom match when the women used to have those. Now it's must see TV when the women wrestle damn near at a pay per view. This was a throwback to that. Oh, the bathroom break match, like. It never got any traction. The build wasn't good. It was just bad from the start. And we knew the build was bad. Mm. We held out like maybe they could build something off. Nope. It was a match as bad as the build. No, I, I, I didn't have high hopes for this match from the build. But then, like I said, we already saw this. This was, again, Sasha and Bailey doing Hell in the Cells when they did their no DQ. That was a great match. But you're yep. doing it again for what? And... It shows you how thin the division is, and then it also shows you how much work you need to do. Because yeah, she is the champion, but I don't care. Nope. I have, like there's nothing about the character, the individual that I want to sink my teeth into and, and root for. I don't care. Nyla maybe turning on Vicky and kicking her out and going face could be something, but she's already lost two title shots. So I'm I'm a little curious like where she goes from here because. There aren't that many women in AEW. Well, she's lost one title shot. And the other one, I think she lost the title. Well, she was champ. Okay. She lost to, um, oh my God, what was your name? The first champ. Oh, yeah, that's who it was. So, yeah, she lost to her and then lost two title shots. Yeah. So, she's had three title shots. That's what I'm saying. Like, she's been in the title picture on and off. Now, obviously, they'll probably go to Britt Baker, right? That's That seems yeah. like the only place they can really go. But, where does Nala Rose go from here? They really like they try to bring in Awesome Kong. They try to bring in Aja Kong. They try to bring in like 
who else? You can't have a few with Brandy. You can have a few with Swole, I guess, but the, the, the herd is so thin. They need to get some There's more only women. four women. They, gotta get more, they, like, they have to get more women. They have to get more women. just rotating the same two baby faces, two heels. And the other problem is, is when you do bring in other women, like Red Velvet, for instance, she just loses. So it's like, I can't put any stock in anybody else you bring in because they just lose. This is the complete opposite of NXT's women, women's division, which is so much better. Yeah. So rough for them right now. And this did nothing to... Um, make anyone feel better about that um next up young bucks versus ftr so i'm hearing that Meltzer said is one of the best 10 tag team matches of all time i'm not sure it's one of the five best revival matches i've seen and i'm gonna go back and watch this match because a lot of people are saying classic and five stars i i can't i'm glad i watched it before looking at all that shit because AEW has a very loyal fan base. I have to take shit with a grain of salt. My eyes told me that this was a good match. It was a good match. I had fundamental problems with the finish. But it was a good match. Decent. I'm not even sure if it was four stars. But it's not even in my top five revival matches. Revival Best Friends was better to me than this. God damn. I disagree with you again. Shit. I like well, this match. I mean, you're you're in a majority. I'll tell you why I dislike it, but go ahead. No, tell me why. Like, tell me the finish that you dislike, because I think I know what you're going to say, and I, I know the counter here. There is no reason for a team like the Revival, FTR now, to go for a slingshot anything. Springboard. What was that shit? Like a 540 splash mm-hmm. where it turned the tide of the match. You had your opponents right and finished after each side landed like four tag team finishers. It was a 3D at a point. Everyone kicks out of everything, and you go for a 540 splash. What happened to no flips, just fist? That's why they did it. That's exactly why they did it. That's exactly why they did it. They couldn't put them away any other way. So you go to what they do? Yeah. No, you... And that's another... That goes to my second fundamental problem of this match is that there was not a clear baby face and there was not a clear heel. Oh, I mean... Because the Revival and FTR, their best move when they can't put someone away is to cheat. But that takes a clear and defined role. Not to climb the fucking top rope or do some stupid shit. That's not what they do. But they have no basis of character going into this match. When you do that, and you have the guy's leg hurt already, and he's on one wheel, you find a way to cheat. That is what they have done in the big matches, and that is what has made sense, because they've been a great heel tag team. Here, they were half heel, because they're breaking the man's poor leg. He's limping around. Uh, I think it was Matt, what, whichever one of the Bucks, had to do the super kick on one leg, by the way, they do silver kicks 18 times every fucking match. But this one, on one leg, managed to get the pin? They never use that as a finisher. That's like pinning the guy with a clothesline for them. Made no sense. I completely disliked the ending. The super kick never finishes shit for them. And they hit a million of them a match. But this match, you end with a super kick. After the guy does a super uncharacteristic flip off of the top when his whole brand is built off of being a heel, cheating, and never flipping. Get that shit out of here. Yeah, I vehemently disagree with you. I enjoyed this match. 
Uh, I enjoyed the. And it was a good match. I thought, but you said it under four. You're nuts. Yeah, this is not yep. an under four match. I could I can name five matches by them that are better. That's still not an under four match because they have five matches that are closer to four and a half stars than this. But yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with the finish. The the callbacks they they used every great tag team's finisher in some way, shape, or form to get rid of each other. There wasn't a ton of cheating because this was a competitive match between two tag teams who believe that they're the best tag teams in the world, and they wanted to prove it, and they need to figure out how to put the other away. I enjoyed this. I thought the storytelling was fine. So, this, so you're telling me at the end, when you're at your wit's end, that's fine. I like it. You can't put them away. They're a great tag team. You're a great tag team. At the end, you have two options. One is to finally say, fuck it. We got to go to our roots and cheat. But how are they going to cheat? They always find a way to I'm just they a, go under the ring. Just, but, they pull someone's leg. They do a lot of dumb shit. They cheated a million ways. But Wheeler was out, right? It was just Dax and Matt. They were both taken out. Like, here's what I liked about this match. Everything that FTR and the Bucks have done over the years, they've countered it. They countered it in this match. Cutting off each other. Like, FTR is fantastic at cutting off before you make the hot tag. And they did it, but then the Bucks would find a way out to get, get around that shit. I thought this was great storytelling in a match. And, like, and again, like... I just watched this match, and I haven't read a thing. I didn't even read anything that you guys talked about in the group chat. I didn't read a review. I don't know what Meltzer said about it. I am literally coming into this podcast hot from watching this show. Didn't read a thing. And I enjoyed this match. Top 10 tag team matches ever? No, because I I can absolutely say, like, DIY and the Revival... Just and this is just recent shit. DIY and the revival, Bucks and Red Dragon. Um, there's some PWG matches in there that were unbelievable. Even yeah, the Lucha Bros and Young Bucks, the latter match was better than crazy. This. But yeah, yeah, this wasn't yeah. a bad match. This wasn't an under four match. I think they told a great story. I thought this was a great match. I thought they played everything. Right. I don't think there was anything until the end. Dax had nothing else to do. And he lost to his own, their own fucking thing. No flips, just fists. And they lost doing a flip. And that's how they lost. I, I mean, do you want them to lose by a Meltzer driver? I mean, preferably. Just, I, I don't know why you go for I understand the desperation angle and you saying like, oh, they were so desperate. But it's not something you ever do. I mean, <laughs> like it, it, just, it, it came out of nowhere. I thought it was also <laughs> impressive that Dax could do a 450 splash. I was like, holy shit. He, that, that is wildly impressive. Like, I've never <laughs> seen him do it, but he could, he could clearly do it. I, look, yeah, he could. The problems that you have with this match, I didn't have. I thought it was great that it ended with just Dax and Matt. Like, uh, th- because everybody else had been taken out. There were so many great counters what in this match. What about super kick? You're all right with the super I'm kick? I'm all right with the super kick. Caught him by surprise. After fucking up and doing a 450. Like, he went from no flips <laughs> to just fists, and he got super kicked, and they lost by the move that they have mocked on Twitter for years. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I did not. I again, did. I, I didn't have a problem with this match. Now, if Meltzer's saying it's one of the best, and people are saying it's five, I didn't think it was a five-star match. I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. I thought, like, yeah. I, like I figured, for me, it was a match of the night. The payoff was good. I mean, I would probably give it to Omega. I, I do agree okay, with you with this, sure. though. The build to this was trash. But w- what they ended up doing, though, because they blurred this lines between baby faces and heels, which they could have done a better job of because this match told a better story than the stories that they've been trying to tell for the past month. 
I'll give you that. They could have just did the match. Exactly. Because they told everything you need to do in the match. Like, they told... If if you knew their history, that's another problem. Uh, I mean, who, who I mean, doesn't know their history now? Like, come on. Okay. Their core audience, is that's fine. Not even the core. And everybody who watches a, everybody who watches pro wrestling knows the Bucks and FTR story. Come on. Who doesn't? If you don't, why are you watching this show? Because, I mean, this is what they want to do. They want to build a fan base. Like, that's... And, there's WWE main roster fans that don't know shit about NXT, and that's part of their brand. Well, that's stupid. So you can't tell me that they know about FTR and no, no, uh, no. How even FTR no. came about? No, no, no. Fuck that's different. And, that's different. And ROH nope. mocking and all. No, this shit. that's like, different. WWE is a mainstream thing where people who just watch WWE have never watched the indies in their life. People who watch AEW have watched the indies their entire fucking life. Okay, I got you. I, again, it's not a problem for me. It's not a problem for you. I'm just saying this is another example of them relying on people knowing a backstory that was told on being the elite or in other promotions. No. And on Twitter and social media for years. No. When they had two months to put that into the story on television, but never did. Why did it? Being the elite mocked them. Fuck the revival. They mocked them for years. But they mocked them why on Twitter. Why don't you have too. that in a pro? Yeah, but why don't you have that in the promo package two months leading up to the to the match? Look, I, I I will say that the build sucked, but I think everybody yeah. knew the story. That's why I that's agree, why the build sucked. Just that's the that's the nuances. Just remind people they did a great job with Moxley, and uh, in the main event. It was Moxley. In Kingston. You want to know why? In Kingston. You want to know why? And they reminded everyone of the story. Not even reminded. Nobody knew the fucking story. I I had no fucking story. And it made me buy in. So just retell me the other story. This is good storytelling when you're on weekly television. Don't act like people knew. Because if it doesn't happen in your company and in your brand, it is then your job to retell the story. We tell stories on this podcast four and five times over the course of... Six years, because we told a story on the third show of this podcast doesn't mean so much to remember it today. We're smart enough to retell that story. Mm, I don't know. I disagree with that to an extent, because I think the the build sucked, right? I do think the build for this match sucked, but it sucked because everybody knew the story. I don't think there's anybody who's watching AEW who is not aware of the FTR versus the Buck story. And that's why it would have been cool to put it together during the build. That's but it. that's why it would have made a nice promo package, and it would have tied together the match, and you remembered all the callbacks a little easier because you have the whole story. It again, the build is fucked up. The match probably didn't suffer for it because the match was good. It was good. I, I don't think it's a top five revival match, but I, I think it was good. It's not a top five Young Bucks match. So the key that my whole thing fucked me up is a top ten match all time because no. I'm not sure it breaks their top ten individually. Or top five individually. But, no, it was a good match. Second best match of the night to me. I mean, that, that's fair. I just you, you talked me into it. Give, I'll give them a four. 4.25. And I'm going to rewatch it. Because maybe I did, you know, I I was working. I watched it live. But uh, it was around the same time as the Haney fight. You know, I'm, I'm going to sit back down. Probably by the end of it, I'll be open to it. And I'll be like, all right, cool. That was a four, 4.25 match. All right. Well, yeah, I enjoyed it. So that's that. And I don't, I don't give a shit what um, anybody else said because that that Meltzer be putting dubs on it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's oh fuck, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know. I'm blocked though. I just heard it secondhand. Next up, Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara. <sighs> I mean, it, 
I don't know, man. It's a long fucking pay-per-view. I, I didn't need a long final deletion style match. Um, Private Party ended up showing up. We got Gangrel. I understand what it is. It, Hurricane Helms. It was what it was supposed to be. It was okay. I don't know. It didn't wow me like the other final deletions or anything like that. Um, Matt Hardy ends up winning. Cool. Sammy always loses, man. I don't fucking know. Doesn't do anything for me. Um, this match could have had ten minutes shaved off it. That was my problem with this match. It was too goddamn long. Yeah, it was cool for what it was. It, I mean, it was fine, but it was too long. And look, you're not going to beat Matt Hardy in a, any deletion type of match, right? You'd like Sammy Guevara yeah. to win, but if, if Matt Hardy loses, then he has nothing left. So, <laughs> True. Sammy had to lose. Got put in the trash can. Drove him away. The Gangrel and um, Hurricane Helms uh, cameos were fun. But this was just really long. Like, the extended... Because uh, clearly we're going to an LAX private party feud. I, I guess that's yeah. where we have to be going. And I'm fine with that. As long... They had a full match in the middle. Exactly. Of that's, that was my problem. I was like, why? They're still fighting? Like, this is extremely long. Um, as long as LAX goes over at some point, private party can lose now. Um, LAX needs to go over. But, yeah, this match was just too goddamn long. The Roman Candle spots, while they were fun, I was like, God damn, another one? Um, yeah, they could. If this if this was the match to take ten minutes off and give it to Paige and Omega, okay, I could I could see that. This match was too long. How long was this match? Thirty minutes. That ain't they didn't even give a time. No. Okay. Well, it was too I can't long. Can't even see a time. Yeah, I'll check after. It might have been like thirty-five. Whatever it was longest too. match of the night. It was because Bucks. Yeah, Bucks FTR was only twenty-eight. Shit. Yeah, this match was just too... That was the second longest. This was too long. This was a case of, I ain't need all this. Yeah. No, no one's asking for all that. But it's hard to make a short final deletion match, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then we have MJF versus Chris Jericho. MJF uh, is allowed to join the inner circle. Him and Wardlow now. Uh, he beats Chris Jericho. It was all right. Like, I mean... I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting from the match itself. My favorite part was Chris Jericho's entrance with people singing it. Yeah. That was it. This dude has like a... Um, listen, even though he's like Maga Jericho and all that shit, that entrance is incredible. That shit's money. I mean, <laughs> yeah. When fans are back, oh my lord. That's great. Now, this match was a weird match. Because none of us expected it to be good. But... It was long. It was another long it, match. And I was like, why is this it so It was long? 16 minutes. That's it. But it felt long, right? It did. It did. Both of these final matches felt long, and they weren't. Yeah, like this, I don't know, man. I'm fine with the finish because I'm intrigued on how they handled this MJF inner circle thing. That's the only yep. reason why I'm fine with the finish. I, I want to see where this goes. This felt more like a storytelling match than a match. Like it was getting me somewhere. If this is how we get Jericho off of television for a little while, so be it. Because he's at the point now, when he does come back, he can't be a heel. It's going to be really hard no, to have Jericho. got to be a Yeah, it's going to be really hard. So, either Inner Circle gets rid of him or MGF. I don't know. I have no idea. It was, it's, it was weird to see. I thought the ending was fun. I thought MGF getting the ring and then Jericho getting the bat and then MJF was like, I know this shit. Fuck you. And then <laughs> yeah. took, faked the bum and then rolled him up. I thought that was clever. Yeah. The match itself, eh. MJF is in a weird spot. 
he needs the perfect dance partner. He's one of those guys. He is very... With that character, I think that's fine. Yeah, he's very Miz-like in that sense. Yeah. Where, yep. like, he can... He, he's not the greatest wrestler. He's got a great character. But he needs... Like, when he wrestled Jungle Boy, that was a great match. But he needs the right dance partner. Jericho's not really that guy anymore. He, uh, Jericho, Jericho did a hurricanrana in this match, didn't he? Um, he did. That Lion Tamer was clean, Yeah, too. like, Jericho... Or, I mean, the uh, Lion Yeah, like, Jericho can do some things in the ring, but it just... I don't know, man. This match was fine for what it was. The placement yeah. was fine. I thought it was placed at the right place. It felt long, and if you're telling me it's 16 minutes, I guess I just have to believe you. Yeah, I mean, I think Jericho's pace is just slower now. It definitely so it is. makes the match feels long. Yeah. Longer than it is, you know? Um, and then we have Moxley, Eddie Kingston, main event, I quit match. Love the build. The match was okay, but again didn't bother me that it was just an okay match. I thought maybe it could have been more ruthless due to how the feud played out, but I got what I wanted. The, my biggest my biggest gripe was, and shout out to AJ Springer, you know, reverse Rat Pat member, but he was like, why is Eddie Kingston dressed like the Green Ranger? Yeah, the ring gear ain't I can't. I can't answer that. Like, you come out with that ring gear, I'm like, yeah, no, you can't win in this shit. Yeah. Like, immediately, I was like, no. Like, for an I quit, real, just grimy-ass match, you guys have built, it meant so much, you come out looking like a fucking pack of Nihilators, like, you can't, you're not selling me on that you're a dangerous man in that outfit. Yeah. The the, the attire is kind of trash. Uh, I agree with you. This match was good. Um, Yeah. It was Eddie Kingston does a really good job displaying emotion while he's wrestling. His facial expressions, the way he talks, the way he moves. Um, even him after he lost, I thought was great. Like he's a great character. You like to see him lose a little bit of weight, right? And move a little bit faster and get some better ring gear. But he's good. Yeah. The ring gear is the is the kicker for me. Like, I don't, at his age, I'm not expecting anyone to lose yeah. weight. The um the thumbtack spot and then the rubbing alcohol, I laughed because I was like, that shit hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> if that was actually or a mad rubbing alcohol yeah. on something, like if they didn't if they didn't use water and they were like, Leo, let's keep it all the way real and use rubbing alcohol. Kudos to them because that is stupid. Um, because that shit hurts. But I love rubbing alcohol. Like, just as a crazy side note, like, if I get a cut, I'm so happy because I get to pour rubbing alcohol on it. All right. You're a weirdo. But, yep. um... Yep. I also like getting tattoos. I think they feel good. Okay. Um... Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going there with you. Side notes. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, this match did what it had to do. I Obviously, we're going to Jericho... I mean, I'm not Jericho. Omega and Moxie for New Year... For Revolution. That's January. Yeah. So, I... I was hoping they'd find a way to put it off, but okay. Yeah, it's just, it's January. It's not like they have a pay-per-view every month like the WWE does. So they have a good two months to build this. Um, no, three. November? December? Mm. Two months. Yeah, uh, two months. Two. Two months is fine. Yeah, um, yeah this this match was a good way. It, it was a good closer. It wasn't the best match of the night. Uh, Moxley getting him to quit by wrapping the barbed wire around his bar- bicep was fucking ridiculous. But I'll go for it because they're both crazy. I think it's funny, though, because Omega comes out and he looks at the ring and he's like, I'm not doing this shit. We're wrestling. That's interesting to me. This this old like Omega spotted it was like, "Mm -mm, 
this is your wheelhouse. We need to wrestle for that title. Yeah. And but I'm curious now because they've, they've, they, the last match that they did was a no DQ match when Moxie put Omega through that glass table. Yeah. Now if you have a straight up wrestling match, yeah, the ball's on Omega's court. I'm curious what Moxie can do to keep up. All in all, I thought this was a good pay-per-view. Um, they, they had some lows. The women's division needs a fix and quick. But uh, I was I was fine with it. I didn't I didn't hate this at all. I thought this was a good pay per view. I just some of the shit they could they need to shave some time off some of these matches. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, having nine matches on a card is ambitious in general. Yeah, because you got to show the promo packages leading up. You got to do the entrances. You got to do the match. It's a lot of shit. So um, maybe they just need to take like maybe a match off of the card. Well, I guess the issue is that. Because they don't do pay-per-views every month, they got a lot of stories to tell, right? Yeah. So I guess it's okay. It's just some matches don't need to be long. Cody does need to bring 13,000 people to the ring with him and then have QT Marshall <laughs> cutting a promo. Like, that shit is going to bother me for the end of time. <laughs> Why is this man cutting a promo in the middle of a pay-per-view for a dynamite in a bunkhouse brawl? What? A bunkhouse brawl? Like, I, Dustin getting quality placement in the company is just odd to me in general. Yeah. So whatever. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I can't can't call it. But no, all in all, I thought it was good. Again, I nitpicked at it, but I'm gonna rewatch the tag match again. I am fully confident that I'll increase my rating probably like four point two five. I'll look for all of the tiny details that you mentioned. I would love for them to retell the stories on air because that's their job but fuck it if you're supposed to know going into the match cool i'll let that gripe go um yeah i watched a couple matches from this but like you said decent pay-per-view wasn't bad at all was it the best maybe not but it was better than a lot of other promotions <coughs> WWE main roster usually do so not mad at that at all let's take our last break when we come back we'll touch on New Japan Pro Wrestling, because they had a major pay-per-view as well. And then we'll touch on the main roster if we have time. You guys stay right there. We'll be right back. We'll get right back to the show in a second. But first, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going an extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to teams, player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, it's the home stretch of this show. Man, we've been talking for a while. So, you know what? We're just going to hit up New Japan to close out the show. The main roster WWE could wait. Trust me. You're not missing much, but that could wait for our next show. Dre, we have to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling's power struggle. It's always the pay-per-view after G1 Climax, and it's always, you know, one of two pay-per-views where we see whoever wins the briefcase at G1 have to defend it 
on the road to Wrestle Kingdom. So this was no different, but I'll take it from the top of the card all the way down to see what you thought of each match. So opening match, no corner pads match, which is crazy. Uh, Yano versus Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, this was what it was. Uh, the no pads was Zack Sabre Jr. not wanting Yano to, you know, run and go get the pads. But it was a fun little match. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. can't catch a break. I don't know what this will mean for him at Wrestle Kingdom, but uh, this was fine. It's a Yano match. It didn't have too many shenanigans. It was a Yano match. Yeah. Yeah, it was what it was. Not not bad at all. Um, Shingo Tagaki versus Minoru Suzuki for the Never Openweight Championship. Suzuki lost the belt, man. Yeah. Um, Why? Like, I understand. Suzuki's a guy who never needs a championship to make me watch. But come on, no one cares. Like, it's the never open weight championship. Let the man hold some gold. Nah, I'm cool. Like, Shingo can win this title because basically the never open weight title should just be called I'm going to fuck you up title because that's what happens in these <laughs> matches. And this, was, this wasn't this was as high as their G1 match or any of their previous matches, but it was another I'm just going to beat your ass match. And between Minoru and Shingo's facial expressions, I enjoyed this. And I don't know where this leads for Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know if they, I can't see them doing a rematch, but Shingo, like, th- th- there's no secret here. I love Shingo. I think that man is incredible. I love him to hold top yeah. goal. It's not going to happen, I don't think, but he is a, he's really fucking good. And him and Minoru Suzuki, I don't know. Maybe you give me Shingo and Ishii. Shit, I don't know. Beat the shit out of each other. Maybe you give me Minoru Suzuki, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, and Shingo Takagi in a triple threat match for the Never Open Way title and just let them beat the fuck out of each other. I and they don't do a lot of triple threats in New Japan, but this no, that's one well, I would that'd be take. a good one. <laughs> uh that would be a good one. I, I think this is the the case of both guys will split and face someone from the US. Um barring shit opens up again, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it seems like Suzuki is a prime case for fighting someone who's ready to go to New Japan and really you'd be like, wow, I've I've wanted that match. Like he'd be a good guy for that. Like you you can give me Suzuki versus Miro. (laughs) Uh, Like now that he's gone and free. And I'd be like, you know what? I'm in on this. You know, so there's those like little matchups of guys and Rusev we knew could always go. But you see his new body, he's ripped, all this stuff. You give me him, him versus Suzuki, that'd be one hell of a match. Fucking guy looks amazing, by the way. And his, Incredible. His gimmick in AEW, <laughs> they need to fix that quick. His gimmick sucks, but he looks like a million bucks. Um, yeah, so that'd be like an interesting match, right? And I think Shingo's another one where he can defend the belt against someone from the U.S. or U.K., someone who can now come back over. So I, I think they're both in places to do that. Next match, Okada defeats uh, Great Okan. My referee stoppage. All right, but the the bigger thing for Okada is that it looks like we have his opponent for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, we have Will Ospreay. Um, Will Ospreay's not very good at cutting promos, right? And I guess they're calling the collective... <laughs> his voice is so weird. Him and Ricochet are two peas in a pod. Yeah, Ricochet's worse. Um, I don't know. <laughs> he's worse. But it looks like Ospreay, Bia Priestley, and, um, and Great O'Connor now called The Empire. Which is cool. I'd like to see them add a couple more people because, you know, New Japan is very faction heavy. 
But this leads yeah. to Osprey versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. Osprey cut a promo talking about wanting to retire Okada. Okada basically said, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but if you want a match on Wrestle Kingdom, you got it. So these guys should tear the fucking house down. I don't know if it's going to be night one or night two, but I'm sure we're going to get a great match. It just sucks that Will Osprey has proved to be kind of a dirtbag um, during the speaking out movement because you really like to like this guy as a wrestler because he's so extraordinarily talented. But, hey, yeah. but, you know, the match itself, I was kind of surprised that Okada just kind of went over on Great Okan as clean as he did. and You know, he put in the money clip and submitted him. So, okay. I don't know what that means for Great Okan, but whatever. I mean, it means that he's, you know, he's the first line of defense and he loses so Osprey doesn't have to. It reminds me a little bit, you know, Priestley aside, but it reminds me a little bit of when Balor was creating the Bullet Club, right? So you get, like, it's very small now, but they have enough talent to really fill it out and really do something. And it being the kingdom makes me think, like, you can kind of add, like, a lot of your UK talent to this. Yeah. And build it up. Like, Zack Sabre Jr. can flip it and join them. Nah, he, stay, he you needs to have uh, go. What's the what's the other dude who's in Super Juniors now? He's fucking crazy. Who? Like, um, fan. El Fantasma. Fantasm? I mean, he's a bullet club. El Fant- I know, but you start stealing people. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Like, you can't. Yeah, there's not enough free agent. Everyone's in a clique. Everyone's in something. Yeah, I mean, you can't really tear up the Bullet Club right now because they haven't been 100 percent for like the entire year now. As I'll say they got a million members, but yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, building something regal and, like, you can start stealing, like, a bunch of guy jeans and make it feel big. Because um, Bullet Club is not that anymore. No. So that's an opportunity to have, like, that, that guy jean heel stable that they're missing. And then next up, Kenta versus Tanahashi. Kenta wins. This is surprising. This lists their match at 20 minutes. Yeah. Longest match of the night, or second longest Outside of the main event, Kenta Tanahashi. That, I mean, was well, that was the dream match five, eight years ago. Yeah, I feel like it's something they could do at Wrestle Kingdom and make it feel big. I don't want them to do it again. Kenta can't go, man. <laughs> You've reached that. Yeah, I've just like, reached that point where like he. It's not the same, bro. Like his his control segments and matches where he's in control are extraordinarily boring, and I can't. Like, he's not the Kenta that people had saw before he came to uh, NXT. He's not. That, that guy's gone. And this match was okay. And like I said, if Kenta couldn't do it against Naito on the final night of the A block or B block of G1, I told you I gave up on him. And him, him submitting Tanahashi, while cool in the aspect of, wow, you submitted Tanahashi, the match itself wasn't that good. So, I don't need Cold them to go back to bloody. this. I don't need them. They can leave this one alone. Cold-blooded. Listen, man. Busta Rhymes dropped an album that's liked in 2020. People can make a comeback. Yeah, but Busta Rhymes ain't got to run around and slam people on their head. He just got to sit in the booth <laughs> and rap. That's harder than you really think for some of these old whippersnappers. Um, all right, and then we have Jay White versus Kota Bushi, and this is the match that I told everyone at the beginning of the show, like, they did something we had never seen before. This is that. So, Jay White, Kota Ibushi, Ibushi is defending the certificate, the rights to go and challenge for the title at Wrestle Kingdom, and Jay White wins and is now the number one contender 
for the title and Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, this was a shock, man. Like, this was a such a huge... Like, I'm watching them... So, First Otis, now this, man. Nah, well... <laughs> so, I'm watching the match. And, like, I'm watching, and I'm like, there's no way Kota Ibushi can lose this match, right? And then he re- loses on a roll-up. Like, you know, Jay White does his interference, which completely throws out my theory that Jay White's turning va- babyface anytime soon. Yeah, that was, that was gone C- Completely throws that theory out. It can still happen, but not now. Um, and then he just kind of rolls him up and beats him. And it happens, and there's, like... I, I was listening to an English commentary, and like Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero, and they just were, fell silent. They're like, "What?" And I, they sold it really well. And then Kota Ibushi looked like, "I just lost a fucking, <laughs> I lost a briefcase, basically." <laughs> and Jay White was like, "I told you, bitch," and like took off. And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but I was like, "There's, I, I couldn't see any way of them keeping Ibushi out of this shit." So, just they had a press conference yesterday. After Power Struggle. And Jay White basically says, I'm not wrestling on night one. I'm wrestling on night two. And that's what I'm doing with this briefcase. I'm wrestling the champion on night two. Tetsu Naito, I'm coming for you. Today they announced that on night one then, since Jay White isn't wrestling, it'll be Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuo Naito. And the winner faces Jay White for all the belts. Now I'm okay with it again. Yeah. Because. <laughs> no, that's smart. Yeah. You can't, man. I, like, I. I knew when Ibushi lost, I was like, Gato, you can't do this. People are going to be pissed. Like, there's just no, like, Ibushi is the first person to win back to back G1s and he loses to Jay White. You know how shitty it is? Think about this for a second. You know how shitty it is to go through one of the most grueling tournaments in pro wrestling and then lose what you won in that tournament in one match? <laughs> the next match? Like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah, that's. I mean, amazing, amazing storytelling by them, right? Because how do you make this feel more important than last year? Yeah, so... And having two nights, it's the perfect... Okay, now Abushi's the super underdog. Yeah. And Jay White beat him, so he got a grudge against White. So now Abushi not only can beat Naito to become champion, but then Jay White probably beats the shit out of him after that match. And then the next night... A hobbled Ibushi finds a way to pull it out against Jay White, and it feels big. If that's the route they go, you never know in New Japan. If that, you never, you never know. Jay White could beat him the next night, stand tall, and unlike the last time, he does this this time, and he completely deserves it. Yeah, I'd be perfectly happy with the night before Ibushi's like, ah, I got the belts, and it feels good. And then the next night, Jay White comes and just crushes his dreams. Yeah, I, look. As long as they went this route, I'm totally fine with it. Um, Naito can't win. That's the only thing I, I, I see in this. Like, Ibushi has to win on night you one. You would think so. As long as that happens, then I'm kind of okay with everything, whichever way it breaks after that. But I, I would also like to see it just be for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Like, it'd be cool if Naito kept Intercontinental Championship. And sooner or later, you got to break these belts apart. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I want to see Naito lose the title yet. I'm I'm on the fence right now. He just won the shit, really. Yeah, I mean, it should have never been off of him. I don't know. It's going to be fun. And that's going to be match of the night, by the way. It Maybe. Maybe. Because you know Wrestle Kingdom. Kata Osprey. Dude, you know you're going to have, I mean, you're gonna have some bangers in it. Because you still got the, the junior heavyweight title match. You still got Takahashi. Oh yeah, you know now they're getting ready to do the um, 
Not the best Super Juniors. J- Super J Cup? Is that? No. Super J yes. Cup. In uh, LA. Yeah. And we're like, there's so many opportunities for Wrestle Kingdom to have like a fully stacked car that just kind of blows it out. I don't even know what they're doing with the tag team division. But, uh, yeah, this should be good. Oh, um, Gallows and Anderson are coming back. Well, I'm saying they're, they're not back yet. Everything. Yeah, if everything is allowed. So that might be a huge surprise as well, which would go over really They could well. be back, and Grills of Destiny could be back. And I don't know if they feud in the Bullet Club. Ooh. I forgot all about you. Yeah, dude, there's so many. Like, El Phantasmal coming back, like, everybody forgot about him. And I think he's great. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of talent. You know, obviously, Ishimori will be in the mix. Like, there's a lot of shit going on in New Japan They've been. In- you don't know who else in that Super J Cup ends up making the jump. Like, does Leo Rush say, "Yo, fuck it, I want to go over there"? Like, full time. Right. Like, you don't like him. ACH. Like, ACH is in that. Like, uh, TJ TJP is in that. They have they have options. Wrestle Kingdom, uh, we're sure is going to be good. Wrestle Kingdom never fails us. I just want to say it'll be one bad one, but no, no they'll be they'll fine. be fine. And then you know. Abushi losing was a shock. A lot of people thought it sucked, but now he's getting this match. And then the the, the good thing about it was going into the, the main event, the Naito Evil match wasn't bad. Finally, these two figured out how to have a good match. I couldn't believe it. Like when this match started, I was like, "Oh God, here we go again." And it had a little bit too many shenanigans. But there was a cool little spot where Jay White comes in and threatens to take out Evil and ends up trying to take out Naito. And then Ibushi comes and runs Jay White off. And then, then like, Sonata comes in and with his Sunday brunch clothes and, like, takes everybody out. <laughs> with the white linen. Yo, just crisp. I'm looking at Sonata. Like, again, I look at Sonata and I'm like, this dude looks like a star. And it just didn't work in the, in the G1 finals, right? But he's still, mm. there's something still there. I just don't know how they tap into it. The, the the main event had a little bit too much shenanigans at a certain point, but it was it was a good match between Evil and Naito. The question for me is, where does Naito? I mean, not Naito. Where does Evil go from here? Because oh. him leading Bullet Club was never it. Him joining Bullet Club was never it, and it feels like Jay White needs to excommunicate him at some point. But then I don't know what happens. Yeah, I mean, if that's the tease, that'd be the best way to go. Just kick his ass out and then. I don't know, him and Sonata on their own again as a tag? I feel like you got to give Sonata the same opportunities you just gave Evil. Sure. But we'll see. I think he would take it and run with it. Evil did not. That that just kind of went up and spoke. So I don't know. You can always make them a tag team again. Worst case scenario. You can always put them back together. So we'll see. I mean, great turn of events there. New Japan always keeping people on the... You know, edge of their seats, always mixing it up. The long-term booking, man. It for a second, for a second, Ghetto had me work. He's he's completely turned it around in a blink of an eye, and I'm all bought in again. So I can't can't wait to see what else happens on the road to Wrestle Kingdom. There's always shocks, always surprises. Can't wait to see what the matches are. I love it being two nights, man. I'm I'm hype, and I'm glad it's only it's less than two months away now. Yep. So it's not far at all. I can't wait to watch what happens there. That's actually the end of our show, too. So I'm glad you guys stuck around and listened to all of this pro wrestling talk. We'll be back with WWE stuff, NXT, all that stuff on the next show, which will be cool. We still have two other shows, or excuse me, one other show this week. Boxing MMA is combined. That'll be out on Thursday as well. So you guys stay tuned for that. Make sure you guys check out our Wrestling with Stereotypes 
podcast. It is on YouTube and also on adfreeshows.com. That is live now. So if you guys are listening to this, make sure you guys go hit that link and watch that. We have D'Lo Brown, the legendary D'Lo Brown, as our guest on the first show, telling tons of stories. I mean, listen, where else can you go and hear D'Lo Brown talking about New Jack, talking about, uh, for, or I almost called him Farouk, Ron Simmons, and talking about his time and impact all at the same place, nowhere else. Make sure you guys check out that podcast. Shout out to Conrad for giving us the opportunity there. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. In the meantime, follow us on social media. You can find the show at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter, at Corner Club for Life on Instagram. Follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hell on all platforms. We appreciate you guys. Stay safe. Stay Rona free. Make sure you check out all of that great content that we're cranking out for you guys. It is fun. I can't wait. But until next time, we're out. Peace. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.